The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 40. Welcome back to the Medical School HQ Podcast, the place to learn how to excel as a pre-med student, learn what it takes to survive medical school, and turn your dream of becoming a physician into reality. We're bringing you the most unbiased, honest, and accurate information available online today. My name is Ryan Gray, and I'm excited to host another great podcast for you today. And today we have a good one for you. This is the first time that I've really talked about MD-PhD programs. Now, MD-PhD programs we call dual degree programs, and there are many different kind of dual degree programs. And if if you're a pre-med out there starting your journey and you're interested in maybe business and you like the business side of things but you know you want to be a doctor, you can get an MD-MBA dual degree. You can get an MD-PhD dual degree. You can get an md MPH or Masters of Public Health dual degree. There are there are tons of dual degree programs out there, and they they do have dual degrees for DO uh, schools as well. So I don't want to leave those guys out. Today I brought on somebody that I uh, follow on Twitter. Her name is Hannah. She goes by the Twitter handle MDPhD2B, and I. I uh, invited Hannah on today to talk about her path into the MD-PhD program. She's just starting her first year, and we talk a lot about what it was like and her path, and she has a very different path that is very interesting. She didn't know she was pre-med until very late in the game, and she she shares a great story. Before we jump into that, though, we did get three great five-star ratings and reviews from you guys, the listeners. I just want to make a quick mention of those three people. We had Pre-Med John, says, very informative, helpful, and entertaining. Yutu Sabes, uh, says, great resource. And I said Yutu Sabes, it's Yatu Sabes. It says, great resource. And Johnny8100 and I'm going to read Johnny's full thing. He says, I always find this podcast helpful, a lot of insights, and great interviewees. Sometimes I hope this podcast doesn't take off because the admission process will be even more rigorous because of the golden nuggets of information in this podcast. Now, that's a great review, <laughs> but it kind of goes against <laughs> what I hope I'm teaching all of you is that there, if, if you truly deserve to get into medical school, you will get into medical school. Have, the, have good grades, have a good MCAT score great extracurriculars, and prepare yourself for the whole process and you'll be okay. There are plenty of people that are applying that make those numbers look intimidating. There's plenty of people out there applying that probably shouldn't be applying yet, and they probably need to bolster their application a little bit more. But 
those are the numbers. Um, Johnny8100, thank you for a great review, and everybody else. If you have listened to the podcast before, if if you are listening for the first time today and afterwards you find what we're talking about useful, we would truly appreciate it if you go on to iTunes, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes will bring you there, and you can leave a review and a rating there. Five stars would be awesome if you think we deserve it. You can also leave a, a review in the iOS podcast app if you're using that. So let's get back to the interview with Hannah. We start off the interview by talking about where she is on her path to becoming a physician. So I'm currently starting my first year in an MD-PhD program at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, our program's a little different, so I'll be in my graduate phase for the beginning and taking my M1 classes spread out over the five or so years that I'll be completing my PhD. So not quite into the M1 phase yet for the first semester. Okay, that's interesting. And, and I think we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more as we go on. But the, is that typical for MD-PhD programs to kind of put off the MD part? And, and do strictly the PhD part, or do you find more of an integrated approach? How, in your research of MD-PhD programs, what did you find? Um, well, most of the MD-PhD programs that I looked at were called the Medical Scientist Training Program, and they're funded through the NIH, and they're a little more regulated so that they do what's called a 242 structure, um, in which they do two years of medical school, maybe some graduate school or require classes during that, and then they do their PhD work over four or so years, then go back and do their last two years of medical school. My school is the only program that does it this way, but we're not funded by the NIH, so we can do what we want. <laughs> that's interesting. I think that's the typical way that that I know of a dual degree, the MD-PhD programs to be, is that 242 setup. What What separates your school from... Uh, not having that funding? Is is that something they chose, or are they a new program that doesn't have the funding yet? It's actually, it's been there for 35 years or so, so we're on the older side, I guess, but we don't have the large academic hospital that a lot of the other major programs do, so we kind of call it a virtual medical school because we don't have residents or interns or anything. It's just the medical students at local hospitals. Okay. So a, a little bit different, and maybe that's why the NIH funding isn't there. NIH likes the big hospitals. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So let's. I, I want to talk about your path into medicine and, and your decision to go down the MD-PhD program. I think a lot of our, our listeners that, that may be interested in, in looking into the dual degree programs might uh, be able to get some some information from your path into it that, that might help them. So when, when did you know you wanted to be a doctor? Um, this is kind of a long question because I decided I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. And then I started volunteering at a hospital and learning more about the reasons why you should go into medicine. And my parents had been a big influence in that decision originally. So I actually decided to not go towards medicine and 
decided to do pharmacy, which doesn't seem like a big change, but when your parents are pushing you towards medicine and like upset that you're doing pharmacy, it's actually pretty big of a change for me. <laughs> was that a rebellion phase? <laughs> yes, that's my teenage rebellion. Okay. I like to think of it as. So I went with pharmacy for all of high school and I got to college and learned more about research and got really excited about research and the possibility of affecting more than just the one-on-one -on -one interaction, but actually learning things that could eventually you know, be applied to a wider range of people. And so I took pre-med requirements for fun because I thought they might still be beneficial to my future. But I was strictly research at that point. Um, and then I ended up getting into a research lab in the cancer center and started learning more about how cancer not only is like works biologically, but, you know, to the whole person. And I kind of got drawn back into the idea of you know, going into medicine and interacting with the people, too, instead of just learning the science and working on the science. And it wasn't until I found out that there was combined MD-PhD programs two days before I was taking my GRE at the end of my junior year of college. And I was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for. It lets me do everything that I've been wanting to do. And I didn't know that it was even possible to do that. So. And how did you find out about it? Finally, um, I was researching schools where to send my GRE scores and I came across it on a website and I was like, oh, it just must be at Harvard in combination with MIT because it's Harvard and MIT. <laughs> and then the next school had it too. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Sweet. And so, yeah. Okay. So, so through your pre-med years, and where did you go to undergrad? I was at the University of Minnesota. Okay, so, so, so a large undergraduate school, yeah? Yeah, pretty large. <laughs> okay. So you you really weren't pre-med? No. Okay, so you didn't have access to or really you weren't thinking about trying to find those resources that would have told you earlier that there are these dual degree programs. Exactly. Okay, your, your plan really was, was it, it was pharmacy school or was, were you at that point PhD looking to go into research? After my first semester of college, I was PhD looking into going into research for drug development sort of stuff. Okay. So still incorporating the pharmacy, but doing it from a research aspect. Okay. Very interesting. And then along the way during undergrad, what was giving you kind of that itch that medicine might still be there and you were still interested in it? Um, well, I kept being exposed to like people going into medicine, and I was still volunteering at the hospital and taking like physiology and medical terminologies at the same time. I was like, this stuff is fascinating. I like learning about how it's clinically relevant, but I figured I would have to choose either research or medicine. So while I was interested in both, I had to go with my priority at that point. Okay. And the priority then was PhD until you found out that, hey, look at this, there's MD-PhD. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you thought it was perfect for you. Yeah. So at, at that point, you're two days before taking your GRE. Is this your, your, what year were you, a senior at this point? I was a junior. A junior, okay. What, what was the next step after that, after you had this kind of, oh, wow, there, there is a program for me out there. What did you do then? Um, well, I signed up for the MCAT right away <laughs> and I actually went and met with the 
director of the MD-PhD program on campus to talk to him more about, you know, what are my chances? What do I need to do? So your school, your school had an MD-PhD program that you didn't even know about. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it was nice that I had someone as a resource around to talk to. So. Okay. So you, you sign up for the MCAT and talk to the, the, the guy in charge of the MD-PhD program. What were those next steps? Um, I pretty much just already started on my application because I wanted to get it in that year. Really? <laughs> Thinking I had a chance, yeah. Okay. I, and I, I took the GRE anyway because I was already signed up, and I was already signed up for the chemistry GRE, so I took that a month later. And my MCAT was two months after that, so I ended up taking three standardized tests within a three-month period. <laughs> wow. And, <laughs> and then after I was done with my MCAT, I started working on my personal statements, and I was hoping to get that in my application in maybe like a week or so after my MCAT, but I spent a solid month working on my personal statements just because I wasn't satisfied with them, I guess. And I, Yeah. I think that's that's probably about an average. Uh, a lot of people probably rush the personal statement, so it's always good to spend a little extra time on that. I want to go back to you finding out about the MD-PhD programs and then signing up for the MCAT and taking it two months later. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Like, wh- Did you even have a clue what the MCAT was like, know what kind of prep needed to go into it? You just said, oh, I need to take the MCAT. It's probably like the GRE. I'll just take it, take it like everything else. Um, I had had one friend that I had known about her studying about it, um, but that's pretty much all I knew about it. So I got a um, a book, the Barron's MCAT book, and just worked on that. And I actually didn't start studying for it until a month before it because I still had finals and all that to worry about. So, yeah, and I just worked on that solidly. I took a week off of working in my lab and read pretty much the whole thing and then did practice tests or segments of practice tests over and over again until the test date. Wow. Did did you ever take a full <laughs> practice test? No, I never sat down and did them all in a row. I figured I would. Wow. Like, <laughs> I would remember each question more because what I did is I would mark which ones I got wrong and then go look up why I got them wrong and take notes on why I got them wrong and then repeat the section a few days later to make sure I actually retain that information. Otherwise, I'd look it up again. And by repeating the sections, it helped me learn it too. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I I think most people would say take full practice tests, but a lot of students don't do what you did and go over the tests as thoroughly probably as you did to make to, to find out why you missed the question, and that's a, a key thing to know, is that you really need to know why you're missing the question so you don't repeat the same mistake. Yeah. So, it helps you diagnose what areas you work on more, too. Yep, definitely. So how did you do on the MCAT? I got a 35. You st- <laughs> okay, maybe I'll edit that out. So other students out there, one month of studying, never taking a full MCAT, and you got a 35. Yes. But I had taken extensive coursework, which I think helps because I went with my chemistry major and then just was like, that class looks like fun. That one looks like fun. So I'd taken a lot more of like the biology and chemistry classes that I think were pretty helpful for it than maybe other people have by that point in undergrad. 
Yeah, but the MCAT is just so different anyway. And it, and I don't know if you know that I talk about it all the time, a, a study from 2008 that showed the MCAT is less content and more comprehension and uh, application of, of what they're asking. So it, yeah. it, it actually is taking those practice tests and learning how they're asking you questions and learning the format of the MCAT more than knowing the content. But apparently you did just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so you take the when did you take the MCAT? Do you remember? It was June twenty first. Okay, so super late taking the MCAT. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you hadn't started working on your application yet, and you said that it took you about a month to do your personal statement. So, when did you finally submit your applications? Yeah, it was July twenty fifth that I got it in. Okay, so before what? What a lot of people say is that kind of no man's land of August of applying. So you got it in before then. That's that's a amazing kind of time frame. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about some of the differences between applying normally to an MD program and then applying to MD PhD programs. Okay. What, in your initial kind of research into MD-PhD programs and the application process, what did you find out that, that might have been different going through the application process? Um, the biggest difference in the application is that, well, for MD, you only have one personal statement. We had three. So you have to write one on your research, uh, one for combined MD-PhD, and then one for MD individually, too. So it was a lot more writing and explaining and trying to figure out what to put in which one. So. And you're applying through the normal AMCAS application, correct? Yep. Okay, so, so from kind of the standpoint, you're not having to go find a different uh, application service. It's normal AMCAS. You're just... Uh, I think there's checkboxes in there that says you are applying MD-PhD. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Interesting. What what other differences um, besides the personal statements did you find? Um, more of the differences were on the secondaries. There would be MD-PhD specific questions, more about what kind of research have you done, what kind of research do you want to do, how do you want to incorporate the MD and the PhD together, that sort of thing, to make sure that you are aware of what you're wanting to get into, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's important for just plain old MD, too, knowing, mm-hmm. knowing what, you, what you're what you getting into. Yeah. Uh, along your the application process, and and we can get into interviews in a little bit, but did you... Before then, did you have access to advisors or any mentors that were MD-PhDs to kind of guide you or or to even expose you to what an MD-PhD would do? No, I didn't at all. So that was a slight disadvantage of mine, but... Do you think that hurt you? Um, Possibly, yeah. Just because I had less of a firsthand view of what it was like. Yeah, but you, you did go to the uh, the program director of the MD-PhD program, right, at your school? Yeah, was yes, he, I did. Was he an MD-PhD? No, he was only a PhD. Okay. 
So he he even couldn't really give you any inside information. No. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm interested to know what you talked about on the MD PhD part of it. How how were you able to formulate a personal statement and formulate those secondaries to talk about what you wanted to do and how you wanted to integrate those things? Um, for the combined one, I was looking at like the motivation aspect of it. So I had spent the summer that I was applying volunteering in an oncology infusion suite while I was doing research in a cancer research lab. So I talked about how I would be around patients, you know, in the morning. And, you know, I was really excited to be there because I knew the research that was going on to help, you know, their problems. And then I would go back to my research lab and I'd be more enthused about what I was doing because I had firsthand experience with the people that I was actually like working towards helping. Okay. The, the exposure that you were getting in the, in the cancer clinic and the other hospital volunteering that you were doing was was that just something you were doing because you were interested in it? Or were you interested in it because you were interested in the research and you just wanted to see the other side of what the research was doing? Well, I had been a, I started volunteering when I was 15. And even though I decided against medicine at that point, I stuck around all throughout high school and into college. So it wasn't just because I wanted to have a career in medicine. It was just I wanted to be helping out at the hospital. But I kind of stopped doing it in the middle of college just because I had enough going on. <laughs> and <laughs> when I decided to do the MD-PhD program again, I got really excited. I was like, I need to be back in a clinical area. So that summer I got back into the um, chemotherapy infusion suite. Okay. So I think that that probably helped you. That, that was awesome that you were able to have that experience of knowing the other side of it. Yeah, definitely. That's great. That's mm-hmm. that's awesome. So you submit your applications, and uh, you obviously have a great MCAT score. I'm sure your GPA is is great as well. <laughs> as as an MD PhD student, first of all, how many programs are there in the country? I don't even know that number off the top of my head. Um, for the MSTP NIH funded ones, there's like 43 or so, but there's over 100 total, including those MSTP ones. Okay, so there are a lot of kind of, I don't want to say do-it-yourself, but a lot of schools are kind of building their own MD-PhD programs outside of the MSTP. Yeah. Okay. And I think one of the biggest differences, maybe for those that are listening, the MSTP, I think you mentioned it, the, the NIH funds those spots. So you're going to medical school for free, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Pretty nice deal. Huh? Yeah. And, and how is it at the other programs? I'm assuming you have to kind of pay your way. Um, actually, at mine, I don't. I'm not quite sure about any other ones, but we have managed to get enough funding to cover tuition for med school, and you get a stipend. It's not as much as the graduate school stipend, but it's still something to live off of. Um, I didn't look into any other non-MSTP ones, but here, so I'm not quite sure about those. That's awesome. So (laughs) free medical school and getting paid during your PhD. 
I like yep. it. <laughs> That's a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. So, I, I mean, I don't want to say that things kind of lined up for you pretty well, but that's pretty awesome. You, you obviously worked hard to deserve all this, but that's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what made you choose the schools that you were applying to? What were you looking at in a school? I picked, I only did MSTP programs because I knew that they were the best ones to be able to get funding from the NIH. And then I kind of started just picking what area of the country that I wanted to end up. So I like the West Coast and I like the Northern East Coast. And then there's a few areas within the country that I picked as well. And then looked at the research and made sure that there was research that I wanted to do there. And okay. that's kind of how it worked out. <laughs> and I'm sure that's a big part of it is the actual type of research that's going on at the school. If it, if it kind of meshes with what you're interested in. Yeah. Okay. And how do you find out about the research that's going on? Is it pretty easy to go on the websites and find out what they're doing at each of those schools? Yeah. If you look at the combined MD-PhD program websites, they'll usually um, have a link to the different graduate programs that you can work with for the program. And then on those graduate program pages, they always have a list of their faculty and what the research pertains to. So that's a good resource for that. Okay. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. let's run through uh, an interview day uh, going to one of these uh, MD-PhD interviews. What was your experience at those interviews? Um, I had two interviews for it, and one was the multiple interview, one-on-one -on -one interview days, and the other one was a panel interview here. So the first one was eight half-an-hour interviews spread out throughout the day, and that one was a very long and tiring process. Um, a lot of repeating what your research is about. And then the second one was a really short panel interview. I think they kind of had a good idea before that, just wanted to know our personality. Okay. And it was, again, explaining mostly your research and a little bit of how you feel that you can combine the two so i think it's a less about the medicine aspect and more on the research yeah and, and that's what i was going to ask next is is it sounds like it was more about the research and less about the medicine yeah yeah because the big thing of what we're going to do is the research otherwise we would just do the md but we want to be able to get both so that we can translate and information from you know the bench to the bedside the best so a big goal for all md phd programs is to get people who are going to be big researchers when they're done I, I like that from the bench to the bedside that might have to be the title of this episode <laughs> awesome <laughs> so you obviously got into school and you're on your way to your md phd yep we're it, what, where was your other interview? Was it an MSTP program? Yep, it was at Minnesota. So okay. it was nice and convenient for me that I didn't have to travel. <laughs> yeah. Were you, and this is maybe a, a something you don't want to say, I, I don't want to say you were disappointed to get into the school that you're at, but were you looking forward to more of that 242, or did you really not care? It's all the same in the end. 
I was really into the 242 at first, and I didn't actually know what Illinois setup was. They didn't have it listed too precisely online. Um, so, and I was like, oh, they're not an MSTP, but I guess I'll try it anyway because I want to try to get in somewhere. And then it, it turned out that it fit me a lot better than I feel a 242 would just because I came from the research side first, then got really into the MD. So I wanted the full graduate school experience and then to do the MD after that. But I was, I'm not restricted by time for my PhD, which the 242 usually does. So I can take on a really hard project that might take me longer than five years, but I would be a lot more satisfied with and I get more experience with. And I have learned to really love that about here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. So you can take your time. You're you're not handcuffed into that four year PhD. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And and I think personally, having gone through medical school and and obviously the clinical years, I I think I would prefer to have all four years of medical school combined and not splitting up, learning everything and then forgetting it. And then going to the the wards on your clinical years and then having to kind of relearn everything that you forgot four years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's nice that the second year is close to the third year and like the other ones. I think the 242 ones try to have some sort of thing near the end of the PhD to get you back into the clinical stuff. But it's not as complete as having the whole second year right there. Wow. Um, Another nice thing about our program, actually, is that only 25 students stay for the second through fourth year of med school. Um, we have an M1 class of 125, and 50 of them go to Rockford, and 50 of them go to Peoria. And then there's just a small group that stay here. And, they, and then there's no residents or interns, so they get a lot more hands-on experience when they are in the clinic during their med school years. That's good. Yeah. And, and do those students know where they're going before they start? Or is that decided yeah. later? Yeah. When you get accepted, you then list your preferences um, between Chicago, Urbana, Champaign, Rockford, and Peoria. Okay. That's awesome. That sounds very exciting. I'm, I'm excited for you. And, and I found you online on Twitter. You're very, very uh, active on Twitter. Why do, why do you um, post a lot on Twitter and share your experiences? Well, I didn't have a lot of people that I knew that were pre-meds, so when I first decided to do this whole thing, I made my anonymous Twitter account that's not so anonymous anymore <laughs> as a way to connect to other people who are doing the same thing as me. And it's been a really good resource to not only share my experience with other people and have people learn more about the MD-PhD program, but to learn from other people who are pursuing medicine to make up for the lack of pre-medical training that I had about medicine. Yeah, and that's awesome. I, I think I think a lot of people that use Twitter, and if you're listening and you don't use Twitter, get on Twitter. It's it's <laughs> it's awesome. I, I never understood it. I, I, I signed up very early, back in like 2008, 2009, with, for my personal account, but never used it. I never understood it. And then for the medical school headquarters, I registered an account, and, and I love it. I, I learned so much from everybody else on Twitter. It's yeah, awesome. it's a really great resource, and I follow like um, journals and stuff, so I get scientific information as well as just hearing from other people, too. Yeah. So your path is very convoluted. The fact that you really weren't pre-med until 
<laughs> you signed up for the MCAT. <laughs> and <laughs> looking back for for the students that may be in high school right now or or maybe starting off on their journey in undergrad that might be interested in the MD PhD world, what advice would you give them to start off their their pre-med path and, and MD PhD path on the right foot? Um I'd say get research experience as soon as possible. That'll help you decide right away if it's something that you actually want to do. Um, and then that would just help build your research experience if you are wanting to do the MD-PhD, since that is such a big part of it. Okay. And, and you really think it's it's that PhD part that, that really makes or breaks the the applicant in, the, in an MD-PhD application? Yeah, I think so. The you know, everyone has the MCAT and their GPA and clinical experience of some sort. But if you have really thorough research experience and you can explain it well and say, you know, this is how it might apply to, you know, medicine or something, that'll really help you stand out. That's awesome. And and for those listening, research is one of those things that everybody thinks they have to have for an application. You don't. You don't have to have it. If you're not passionate about research, don't try to fake it because it'll show when you start talking about it during your interviews. But mm-hmm. it, it is one of those things where it takes it takes a special person to really be interested in research. It's it's a very different kind of thing. Um, you have to you have to like the minutia. You have to like kind of getting down in the nitty gritty. I think, and I am not one of those people. I couldn't stand research, <laughs> but. Uh, we all suffer through a little bit of it to to test the waters. Yep. So, what is your goal in life? Ooh. For my career, um, I want to be an academic oncologist. I want to lead a lab that's devoted to developing anti-cancer medicines and maybe hopefully someday get one of those along the lines towards actually becoming a drug. Um and just work my way through academia in that way and see what where it takes me, I guess. Awesome. So yeah. you're, you're going to help cure cancer. I hope so. <laughs> that, that would be fantastic. All right, folks, that was Hannah. Again, you can find her on Twitter, MDPhD2B. She also blogs. I'll, I'll leave a link to her blog and a link to her Twitter account in the show notes, which you can get medicalschoolhq.net slash 40, as in episode number 40. Now, I changed it up a little bit because I always get a little tongue-tied, tongue, tongue-tied saying session 40. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the, uh, the URL to just medicalschoolhq.net slash and then the session number. So Today's session is 40. You can find it at medicalschoolhq.net slash 40. I'll go back and change all the other ones as well to go back and, and reflect the new format moving forward. So I, I hope you gathered a lot of great information today. I hope you're aware that there are these dual degree programs out there so you're not caught in a last minute situation like Hannah was. There are tons of opportunities for dual degrees. You just need to go out there and look for them. I mentioned a bunch of them at the beginning of the podcast. 
There are different types of MD-PhD programs, as we talked about with the MSTP program, which is funded through the NIH, and other kind of uh, school-built dual-degree programs. So lots of options. You just need to find something that works for you and makes you happy. So also in the show notes, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to put a little link in there to uh, to automatically tweet something out to Hannah to thank her for spending some time. She's very busy. I understand that she took some time to come on and talk to you guys and, and inform you guys of, of her path and some of the options out there. So I'm going to put a little uh, link on there to send her a little thank you tweet if you guys can go Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash 40, and uh, click that and send her a tweet to say thanks. As always, I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. I hope to see you next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.